This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Welcome to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. Tonight we are talking about how your gut is related to your physical and emotional health, how wildfire smoke is choking British Columbians, as well as anxiety, stress, chronic fatigue, and the heartbreak of sexual pain. We talk about the future of healthcare and my virtual health clinic for women's intimate health, GetCleopatra.com. The Sunday Night Health Show podcast starts now. On Saturday, Vancouver, British Columbia temporarily had the worst air quality in the world when compared to major cities. I believe we were neck and neck with Portland where we were for number one and number two. Nothing to be proud of, of course, but it's not necessarily something that uh, British Columbia did um, as it relates to air quality. It was the result of wildfire smoke from fires in Washington, in the state of Washington and Oregon, that moved northward into the region and is forecast to impact air quality uh, throughout the next few days and maybe off and on uh, for the next month or so is what I have heard. Um, We've had this large mass of smoke that has basically been choking a lot of people and certainly choking lifestyles as well. A lot of people are not comfortable going out or or having their windows down or windows open. It is kind of the end of summer, beginning of fall. And so it made it makes me a little short short of breath, to be honest with you, just even thinking about it. You know, it does have that little placebo effect. Um I have a tiny bit of exercise asthma, but many people suffer from respiratory illnesses. And the top eight respiratory illnesses and diseases are, number one is asthma, and also chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, or COPD, chronic bronchitis, emphysema, lung cancer, cystic fibrosis, bronchiectasis, pneumonia, and pleural effusion. So I just want to cover a couple of them. Um, You know, many people suffer with severe asthma. And I want to say right out of the gates, these are, if you have these conditions, you should not be going outside. I don't like to use the word should, because I feel that that's uh, demanding of people, you know, that that makes me controlling. (laughs) And I'm not a controlling person in certain situations. Um, However, it, uh, it, you really, it's not advisable that you go outside, especially if you have severe asthma. Uh, Patients with mild to moderate asthma can experience difficulty breathing, but it's extremely difficult for those with severe asthma because the symptoms can actually be life-threatening. So people with asthma have a tendency to wheeze. They may have shortness of breath. It's very common. It's estimated that 250,000 Canadians suffer from severe asthma, um, there are it's a high fatality rate in this group uh, in the severe asthma group compared with the mild to moderate disease, and each year about two hundred and fifty Canadians die from asthma. So it's something that uh, needs to be treated. Uh, prevention is key with asthma as well. Um, there, it's typically treated with uh, uh, ventilate. Uh, vasodilators and corticosteroids and that is actually the latest guideline is to treat to use both um, puffers uh, both a vasodilator and a corticosteroid um, 
And so it's very important that uh, you don't let yourself get into a situation where um, your, your asthma is actually going to be made worse. And certainly this type of smoke that has infiltrated British Columbia will definitely do that. So... Um, there I go with my shortness of breath again. And then chronic obstructive pulmonary disease is a chronic inflammatory lung disease, and that causes obstructed airflow from the lungs. And so the symptoms include difficulty breathing, uh, cough, mucus, sputum production, and wheezing. And it's typically caused by long-term exposure to irritating gases or particulate matter. And, you know, where you see particulate matter is in the construction industry. Um, so things like routing and sanding and painting, they all uh, give off or um, uh, particulate matter. The sanding from the painting gives off particulate matter. And uh, many, many people in the construction industry have uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or, or asthma, but it's most often from cigarette smoke. So if you're a smoker, you um, have COPD, you are, you know, this, we have this uh, choking massive smoke that is uh, throughout British Columbia or the, the South Coast anyway, um, you know, it's it's very important to your health and life that you remain indoors. So people with COPD are at increased risk of getting heart disease or cardiovascular disease, lung cancer, and, and lung cancer as well, and a number of other conditions. Um, you may have emphysema or chronic bronchitis and those, you know, that inflammation from that chronic bronchitis can also contribute to chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Uh, so it's very important to, you know, remain healthy, get the treatment. Early treatment is, is very important in any of these um, situations. But, but do be careful. It's not advisable that you go outdoors um, and certainly not advisable to do what Brendan did, which was exercise. <laughs> or Brendan shaming tonight. No. <laughs> to go outside and exercise. I mean, it's, it's really difficult. I, I had a friend who um, she wanted to go outside and exercise today and she has asthma. And I'm like, no, you can't do that. It's not she wanted to go for a hike and then she's like well why don't we just go for a walk anyway no 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 not a good idea to do that um so postpone or reduce your outdoor physical activity until the advisory or any weather advisory such the, such as this is related is lifted especially if your breathing is uncomfortable so if you have any of those respiratory illnesses or difficulty breathing stay indoors and uh maybe do uh maybe an indoor little video on YouTube or something that would be good. Anyway, we're all feeling it, and and I do want to mention that, um, of course, with COVID and and shortness of breath, COVID again is a is a respiratory illness, and so you know people may have increased shortness of breath or whatever, and thinking that they are getting COVID um, because many of the symptoms are are similar. But um, so very very. Important. There is a distinguishable difference, though, that COVID, where you may have shortness of breath and cough, and and you may get that with um, when you have thick smoke in the air as well. But when you have a loss of t- loss of taste or sense of smell, that's more in line with um, COVID. Isn't experiencing these days anxiety, chronic pain, fatigue, gut issues, or other symptoms of chronic stress. Joining me on the line is 
the author of the groundbreaking book, The Mind-Body Cure, Heal Your Pain, Anxiety, and Fatigue by Controlling Chronic Stress. Dr. Bell Pawa joins me on the line. Good evening, Dr. Pawa. Good evening, Maureen. Thanks for joining me. And I, I want to mention that uh, on Tuesday evening, uh, September 15th, you and I are going to be taking to Facebook to uh, talk about and uh, about your groundbreaking, fabulous book and all about fatigue and anxiety and chronic stress. That's right. We're going to do an official virtual launch, you and I, on the 15th. Yes, so we I hope you can all join. Yes. And what's the best way for people to be able to join? I know I posted it on my Facebook account today. Oh, so you can. You can simply just go on drbalpawa.com. It's, it's my website, and just register right there on the website. On the first page is a yellow bar, and you just press that and register for the virtual launch. Excellent. It's going to be fantastic. I'm really looking forward to this because we've never, ever needed a book as much as we need this book today in these times, in this day and age in which we're living in. That's unprecedented. And if people were feeling chronic pain and anxiety and fatigue last year. It's a whole new world this year. So tell me a little bit about, although I'm reading your book, I'm just about finished and it's phenomenal, but uh, tell me about uh, what anxiety and fatigue and chronic stress does to a person. Well, I think we should just start with what is stress and stress is different for everybody, but Right now, stress is pervasive, and it causes a change in your body. So it might be a mental stress, and it could be money. It could be kids going back to school. It could be a number of things, but the bottom line is fear, uncertainty, all of it travels on one pathway, and it's your nervous system which turns on all your stress hormones. Now, those stress hormones, when they're excessive and prolonged, like we've been going through this COVID for almost, what, six months, uh, so that causes changes in your body. The, the mental stuff causes physical stuff. So people experience stress in their body, and that's where sickness begins. And this is where I want to tell people, be aware of the mind-body connection, and then figure out the tools you need to make sure that, that that's not happening on a chronic level in your body. Because the mind can wreak havoc on our bodies effectively. Can it? It can prevent us from getting sleep. We can be ruminating. We can be thinking about the same thing over and over again and wishing we had done something differently. We can be worried about uh, the job or worried about our finances or worried about our kids. And, and many people's minds never turn off. And that, too, can have an effect on your body or your physical That's health. Right. And Maureen, a lot of people don't even connect the dots. So that's what I wanted to show in the book, connect the dots. So when you have muscle tension, insomnia, irritability, gut ache, you know, heartburn, all those things start relating it and connecting the dots and say, hey, wait a minute, what's going on in my mind? Why is my body showing up? I have people who show up with eczema or a flare-up of their psoriasis, and then I start saying, well, what's been going on? Well, I lost my job, or I'm having trouble in my relationship. So I help them to connect the dots, first of all, and become aware that their physical symptoms are are usually like 75. Now, isn't this, is this a big number? 75 to 80% of the symptoms that show up in a doctor's office can be all traced back to excessive chronic stress. That's a big number, and I think people need to be aware of that. 
That is a huge number. I, I am I am just stunned by that every time I hear it or read it. But but you can see, given the the life that uh, we are leading today, um, and so this when this mind is racing and people are worried and they're having physical symptoms, I I mean, would you suggest like settle down, take a look at what's going on in your life that can be related to uh, what's happening? So what I say is, look, there's so much happening that's outside our control. We can't control if we're going to get a vaccine. We can't control the financial economic crisis that's ensuing. Let's go back and look at the things you can control. And here's one big thing you can control. It's your deep breathing. And just by doing some deep breathing exercises, that's just so simple. And even children can learn how to do it. We teach it to policemen. We teach it to the trained Navy SEALs. And controlled breathing is a very good way to just turn on the brake. So imagine if your nervous system is a motor and it's revved up all the time and the gas pedal is on, something's got to give. But if you start putting on the brakes three or four times a day, do some deep breathing, that's a very powerful way to turn off the nervous system and neutralize some of those stress hormones. So that's one thing you can control. And then, of course, you can control the way that you, whether you react or you respond. And so I teach people a very simple thing called SODA, S-O-D-A. Stop, observe your thoughts, right? You have the ability to think about what you're thinking, so observe yourself. And then D, detach from your old fear-based thoughts that are automatic. And every single day we have automatic negative thoughts to just detach from them. And now use your mind to affirm the A is for affirm some new trust-based thoughts. Instead of saying, oh my gosh, Johnny's going to bring COVID back to grandma when he goes to school. Look at that. That's fear-based. You can say, look, I'm going to make sure that he's going to be safe. He's wearing a mask. We're going to make sure that we take care of all the precautions and we're going to make sure he's okay. So it's the same scenario, but you've learned to respond and not react. It's great advice, and there's just so much great advice in your in your groundbreaking book, The Mind Body Cure: Heal Your Pain, Anxiety, and Fatigue by Controlling Chronic Stress. That's Bell Pawa, MD, who is my guest, my esteemed guest, and we will be launching this book, a virtual launch, on Tuesday, September. 15th virtually and uh and you can go to dr bell powa's website drbellpowa.com i've got that right dr powa that's right yeah and just press the yellow bar and and register for the uh, virtual launch and there'll be some special guests of course you're the special host but dr gabor matei is going to make an appearance and uh, he's written a lot of books on uh, trauma and stress and how it shows up in the body and so we have a lot of things in common there and then we'll have some giveaways as well uh things that will help people to cope with stress better. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. Pawa. See you virtually on Tuesday evening. Uh, More and more, we're realizing the connection between what we eat and our health. Joining me on the line to talk a little bit further about that is registered dietitian Anne-Marie Stelluti. Good evening, Anne-Marie. Hi, Maureen. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? 
Great. Thank you for having me on your show. Oh, well, thank you for joining me. You have an awesome website and you do incredible work, moderngutthealth.com. What you eat is a powerful tool and it impacts our gut health every day. And that's really important. So how can we feel better with food? And, and, you know, I think we, it needs, it starts with how food affects your body. Yeah. Yeah. So Maureen, I really believe that food has the power to prevent and promote disease. And I really see it all the time with my clients where it can really improve their quality of life, how they're eating, how they're eating it in terms of, you know, timing and, and all of those things. And it's, yeah, it's just, it's amazing because what you eat really does affect every reaction in your body and from, you know, reducing inflammation to improving your immune system and, and even altering gene expression. So it's, it's huge. It, it certainly is. And, you know, today obesity rates are on the rise. Uh, we've been also holed up at home. And so people, you know, got into the baking sourdough and cooking and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> inactivity and um, sourdough bread, that is, and uh, other baked goods. So there's been kind of this COVID-19. So, but, but nutrition, good nutrition is more than just weight. Um, it's actually about what you put into your mouth. And you mentioned uh, anti-inflammatory effects. Uh, And, you know, there's lots of fad diets out there and and different things. And you also mentioned um, the times that people eat. What's kind of the best approach to um, eating uh, so that your gut health is is good or optimal? And obviously it affects your brain as well. and, And so you have good mental and emotional and physical health. Yeah, that's a great question. Honestly, Maureen, there, there is no one approach. Um, some things work very well for other, some people and not so well for others. Um, I do see in my practice some people who are constantly snacking. That, that can lead to a lot of gut issues, a lot of gut symptoms. So, you know, if they're eating every one to two hours, they might complain of a lot of bloating. And, and honestly, your, your body needs a break to just digest the food and clear things out and do what it needs to do. So, so that would be one example, um, if that answers your question. It does. And something else on your website, I loved this. It said what you promise, you, you outline what you promise to do. And, and you basically help, you, you provide counseling and you troubleshoot and identify areas that will improve or eliminate symptoms that people are having, provide natural evidence-based strategies, which I love, and tailor diets to fit a person's lifestyle. Um, and then you say what I promise not to do, ask you to buy a lot of expensive supplements and products. We want a quick fix in the world. And, you know, there are so many dubious products that are that are sold that will help you supposedly speed up your metabolism or help you do this that and the other thing and you know you you know allegedly claiming that you can eat whatever you want just take the supplement and you're going to lose the weight <laughs> right so it's really about good clean food is it not yeah yeah just choosing real whole foods that don't have all those preservatives things that we don't really need um and yeah just sticking to good healthy foods and people have, they effectively have relationships with food. So you hear about disordered eating or, um, you know, a memory from their childhood. How important is having a positive relationship with food uh, to your gut health? It's, it's so important because, I mean, your relationship with food really affects your entire quality of life, how you interact with people and just how you feel about yourself. Um, one of my favorite things to do with clients is actually those who have been very restrictive, just avoiding way more foods than they need to. And um, I, I just tell them to to have no restrictions for, you know, like a few weeks 
and just give them that freedom to choose what they want, really listening to their body, because often it's the over-restricting that can really lead to unhealthy relationships with food where, you know, foods are good and bad. And, you know, some foods are just, you know, it's okay to have ice cream sometimes. (laughs) I'm a dietitian. We all have ice cream sometimes. Of course. We can't Um, live without ice cream. Yeah. (laughs) And that that is a, a healthy relationship with food also. So, it's all about balance, but sometimes having no restrictions can just help um, people understand that food is also just food and it's okay to nourish your body and feel good about it. Exactly. Something, I mean, know thyself and, and um, you know, I often think of if I, I have to eat three times a day <laughs> and at certain times I'm up early and if I haven't had lunch by say 12 or one and then I'm, you know, I'm rushing off somewhere or, you know, and I haven't had an opportunity to eat, then that's my downfall. It is just like I am starving. I will eat anything <laughs> and everything <Yeah. laughs> in front of me and it really alters my balance And otherwise, if I can eat routinely and regularly and healthily, you know, all's right with the world. Definitely. And and much easier said than done, right? We we have very different lifestyles nowadays, but just helping people get there slowly and not, you know, just doing one thing at a time, even if it's making one change a week, that can make a huge difference for a lot of people. Absolutely. And um, so... What are um, some ways to optimize healthy gut bacteria, and why is that important? A really good question. So your healthy gut bacteria does so much. We're we're learning more and more every day. Um, They've actually shown that your, your gut bacteria will actually make vitamins so it will make vitamin K, it will make vitamin B12. Um, without your gut bacteria, you wouldn't be able to digest food. So if you were completely sterile, you would, you would not be able to function as you wouldn't be alive. Right. Um, in terms of simple ways to, to feed that healthy gut bacteria, we've really shown that by eating fiber-rich foods and foods that have prebiotics, which are the, the foods that, the fibers that will feed your healthy gut bacteria, that is a good way to keep it replenished. Um, and that can be as simple as having, you know, oatmeal and bananas, maybe like tomatoes, onions, garlic, leeks. There are, there are so many simple foods that are not expensive that are going to feed your gut bacteria. And we hear a lot about probiotics, but um, what, what are some pre, prebiotic type of foods? Or, or did you yeah. just mention them? Um, yeah, yeah. So th- those are some of them. So, I mean, you, you can take a supplement as well, of course. But um, like you said, with food, if you want to have beans like hummus, um, again, the bananas, the oats, onions, garlic, th- those are all prebiotic rich foods that, that are going to feed your good gut bacteria and keep things going. Excellent. Yeah, well, that's fantastic. It's great information. I think especially in today's world where, you know, we've been, uh, well, you know, our lives have changed. We're doing takeout now. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, that can be great to support those businesses, but it also can be problematic because typically, correct me if I'm wrong, restaurant food is a little bit more, a little less healthy than that which comes from your garden. Yeah, um, most of the time. Honestly, we are lucky in Vancouver. There are a lot of good options here, but usually, you know, food from home, you know what you're putting in it. Um, and that, that makes a huge difference. Um, usually less salt, less, you know, just, you can put more vegetables in there. <laughs> exactly. I am putting the cherry tomato that I grew in my own garden. Oh, <laughs> the <perfect>. one cherry <laughs> tomato, no, <laughs> one strawberry. Some vegetables did, other, did better than others this year. Okay. Yeah, no, 
garden tomatoes are always much better. Yes, in the store. <laughs> exactly. Well, Anne-Marie, thank you so much. I really appreciate the information and uh, you sharing your knowledge with people. And uh, best way for people to get in touch with you? Um, you can go to my website, moderngathealth.com, or you can follow me on Facebook or Instagram with same name, moderngathealth.com. Perfect. And it's Digestive Health Nutrition Counseling by a registered yes. dietitian. Anyway, Perfect. excellent. I'll probably be calling you very shortly. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime, Ray. <laughs> Thank you so much. Have a great All evening. Right. If you've ever listened to this program before, you certainly should know that I am a sexual health educator. I also have a clinical practice where I treat many women with this particular condition. When we think about sex, we don't necessarily think about painful sex or dyspareunia, but it is a very common, much more common than you would imagine, situation that occurs to many women and may impact their relationships and quality of life. The estimated prevalence of painful sex or dyspareunia varies widely because of the different ways in which clinicians look at it, the different ways in which populations are studied, the different definitions, the different outcome measures, how they're utilized. And, and different study designs. But uh, it seems apparent from several large clinical trials that approximately one in every five or six women experiences significant painful sex. And the definition of painful sex or dyspareunia is pain associated with sexual intercourse, which includes pain with attempted or completed vaginal entry. Painful intercourse may be thought of as introidal, meaning that there is pain upon penile entry or anything entering like a tampon or even a speculum. Or then there's also deep in, uh, painful sex, which is, also, which is associated with thrusting during sexual intercourse. And it can make the experience very harrowing for a lot of women. There's a number of different conditions associated with it. The most common type of painful sex is that which occurs in perimenopausal and menopausal and postmenopausal women, and that is something called atrophic vaginitis or vaginal atrophy, or the most current term, it's called genitourinary syndrome of menopause, or GSM. And that's the result of the decreased estrogen receptors in the urogenital tract. Estrogen is the hormone regulator of the vagina and of the urogenital tract, and when estrogen decreases, you likely will get dryness and you'll get thinning of the vaginal tissues. I was talking to a physician this week um, recently about some of these dubious products that are out there, people who are pushing their, or they they realize that there's, that 70% of women may experience vaginal dryness at some point in their life because it's also associated with the oral contraceptive pill and pregnancy, postpartum, perimenopause, postmenopause. And so they want to capitalize on vulnerable women. And so they throw together these dubious products, uh, which is nothing more than a lubricant and, and tell women that this is going to Treat their vaginal atrophy or their their vaginal dryness. It may help during uh, intercourse at that time, but it's going to do nothing to heal the tissues. There are some products that have been approved. Uh, typically, the first line of defense should be low-dose localized estrogen therapy, but a lot of women don't want to take it because of the estrogen. They may have had a history a history of uh, breast cancer, and so they are a little bit nervous about taking that. But there are some products that uh, do contain hyaluronic acid and vitamin E and that are, that are healthy and may actually be very helpful in terms of healing your vaginal tissues. A lot of women will first discover that they have vaginal atrophy or atrophic vaginitis or GSM, it can be called any one of those, or vaginal dryness because they have postcoital bleeding and they come in thinking that they have cancer because they've had sex and they, they don't have the dry 
minus necessarily, but because the tissues are thin, they because the estrogen has decreased, they feel like, oh my gosh, I'm bleeding. And whenever we see blood, we think cancer. And so it's not necessarily the case, especially for perimenopausal and menopausal women, but it's very important you see your doctor and don't listen to these gurus on Instagram or Facebook or wherever, and they're wanting to you know, collect large numbers of followers and then with, with the idea that they're going to sell you their dubious product that has not been clinically tested and approved um, for that use. Uh, you know, you could throw a bunch of lubricants together, you know, and that's what people do. They call it a personal moisturizer and they'll say that it is going to treat it, but it won't. As I mentioned, low-dose localized estrogen therapy is the treatment for it. Um, And, you know, because it's lower dose or topical, just, you know, inserting, you're inserting it into your vagina, it's less likely to actually cross over into the systemic blood system like the estrogen that is treat, that treats vasomotor symptoms of menopause. So be very careful of those dubious products um, and people looking to make money off of you. They often overprice the products too. So this should cost you about $35 a month and no more. Um, Some of the products that I recommend to my patients that are available at local drugstores across the country um, Femme, P-H-E-M-M-E. I, I think that meets all the boxes and uh, hits all the boxes for hygiene and it's a good product and and it's like a rain shower for your vagina. And also Repigyne is a vagina that is, uh, that is not a vagina. It is a suppository that is inserted into your vagina. And that has hyaluronic acid and vitamin E and tea tree oil. And so um, that will help to moisten your vagina and also there's gynotroph, which is another one. So those are the ones that I would recommend if you do not want to use low-dose localized estrogen therapy, which does require a prescription from your doctor. Okay, so there's also some other painful sex diagnoses that uh, we can have. And uh, one is vestibulodynia. And that is pain that is limited specifically to the vulvar vestibule. So right inside that uh, vulvar, it causes this pain upon entrance when the penis enters the vagina. It's characterized by severe pain upon vestibular touch. So uh, often a clinician will uh, do a Q-tip test and just touch with a Q-tip around the vestibule. And um, or there's also tenderness to pressure that is localized within that vulvar vestibule. And, um, and there may just be a little bit of redness in that area. There's primary and secondary. Primary is that that's all you've ever experienced is that uh, in pain upon um, entry in that vestibule, vestibule area. And the secondary type is that you've had a period of comfortable sexual relations, tampon use, or speculum examinations, and then all of a sudden is that uh, you start to get pain in the vestibule. Um, and, and the diagnosis of vestibulodynia is derived from signs and symptoms, not from a defined pathophysiology. The treatment options include topical lidocaine, basically for its numbing effect, local interferon, hormonal therapies like localized estrogen therapy, tricyclic antidepressants because those will help with the pain. Uh, biofeedback is another treatment option that many women have found to be beneficial. Botox, and then in severe cases, there is surgery. Another type of painful sex is associated with bladder pain, and we call that interstitial cystitis or IC or painful bladder syndrome. It's a chronic disease. It's characterized by bladder pain, frequency, urgency, and nocturia, or getting up at night to void. 
it's a it's a cause of female sexual pain. It's often overlooked by clinicians, uh, and and we don't really know why people have this type of uh, bladder pain. Uh, but oftentimes they'll have it after sex. That's another uh, very common time. But the, the prevalence of IC depends on the criteria used to diagnose the condition. And so the prevalence, it would seem to be, or it appears to be, uh, about 17.5% of women experience interstitial cystitis. It's very difficult to identify because the symptoms can overlap with other urological and gynecological conditions. And so there are a number of different treatment options. They start with dietary changes like bladder irritants, so you don't want to be drinking coffees and teas and um, bubbly drinks and spicy foods and um, chocolate and strawberries, anything, or citrus, anything that's good. Um, so you have to have more of a bland t- type of diet. There's installations of steroids, heparin and lidocaine that's instilled straight into the bladder. They're also, um, they also use tricyclic antidepressants here as well, antihistamines, um, and, um, and other, uh, like they do a water dissension of the bladder as well. So a number of different, this will, I mean, this is really a very harrowing, uh, diagnosis for many women. As I mentioned, it's a chronic condition. There's also pelvic floor hypertonus, also called levator ani spasm. And it's a chronic spasm of muscles of the female pelvic floor. And that's becoming increasingly recognized as a cause of chronic pelvic pain and female sexual pain. Uh, the pelvic floor muscle spasm may occur as a primary event or secondary to other physical or psychological factors. And, and you may have heard of the term uh, vaginismus. And so it may be treated with pelvic floor physical therapy where the therapist employs a variety of techniques. There's myofascial release, biofeedback, and electrical stimulation as well. There's also endometriosis and vulvar dermatological conditions. And so there are a number of uh, female sexual pain disorders. There's considerable variation in how female sexual pain is defined and a number of different treatments. But it's very important that you speak to your doctor if you're experiencing any of these conditions. So much has changed since the emergence of the SARS-CoV-2 virus or COVID-19. The devastating impacts of COVID-19 disease in many countries around the world has brought irrevocable changes to our lives, to our jobs, to our finances, to our relationships, and to industries that it has compromised. Well, the immediate focus for health systems globally has been in preparing for and responding to this health crisis precipitated by this pandemic. We must take a look at how this pandemic is going to change things, especially as it relates to healthcare, not to mention jobs, the out with the old and with the new. But there is a new COVID-19 reality for healthcare. There's, there are going to be so many different things that we need to consider. We've already seen the change from going to your doctor's office to having virtual visits or telephone calls. What has come back is the request for home visits for people who are in long-term care facilities. We're actually having those requests increase because it's now far more difficult for those people to leave the long-term care facility. And so we are seeing such a shift in the delivery and the safe quality 
the safety and the quality of health care and access to services. And so, you know, we got to think about this new reality and the demand for uh, improvement in how we deliver health care. We have learned so many lessons through this COVID-19 crisis um, that we have allowed our respect of the complexity of our healthcare systems to drastically limit the scale and the scope and the speed of transformation that they actually really needed. A physician that I work with said to me, had we been, we, the, he said that they had actually been asked to switch over to virtual and they were putting large systems in place, but it was taking the doctors a long time. And he said, had we, had there not been a pandemic, it would have been 10 years before we went virtual. And so, you know, we have to rise up and meet this particular challenge through digital transformation. You know, a lot of the work that I do is related to below-the-belt issues, and, and typically those issues have been shamed or they're, they're kind of embarrassing issues, and it's been very difficult for a lot of women, or a lot of women have told me that they, they didn't want to go to their physicians to discuss it because either the physician didn't have the time or the training to deal with issues like painful sex and leakage of urine and vaginal dryness and low sexual desire. And, you know, and, and not to mention they were embarrassed to actually speak to these, to speak to male physicians about these particular concerns. And so I have gotten on the bandwagon, uh, if you will. It was, a, it was something I was already working on. I actually was training registered nurses to do the work that I do. And my plan was to put a registered nurse in, in a brick and mortar clinic, a physician's clinic, and then also offer virtual or online so that because largely the work that I do is education. It's largely sex education and and also bladder education as well. Bladder health with stress urinary incontinence, overactive bladder, neurogenic bladder, um, you know, functional continence or incontinence. And and so that plan changed. I had developed a program to educate registered nurses. Um, it's an online program, and that was always going to be online. And then there was going to be a clinical component, uh, so bringing the nurses in and uh, having kind of a classroom type of, uh, of situation. Now that's actually gone virtual as well, and that'll have to be done by Zoom. Um, have Zoom meetings or maybe socially distanced in my backyard, <laughs> perhaps. But I plan to educate more nurses across the country and, and the U.S. as well because there's such a paucity of healthcare practitioners that have been trained in below-the-belt issues. So hence, Get Cleopatra has been born, getcleopatra.com. And uh, it's all virtual now. So there's no more bricks and mortar clinic, although I did have a request recently um, because some uh, practices where they have 15 doctors, they are still seeing a, a large number of patients in the office. So, you know, in this time, we need to pivot in order to be able to deliver the best health care possible and, and change our thinking in terms of how we're going to distribute the information uh, that, you know, to connect with our patients in a way that makes it more convenient. Now people are, you know, if we weren't living in an instant gratification world before with everything at our fingertips, we certainly are now, especially with healthcare. And consumers will have different expectations around um, receiving healthcare. And certainly in the work that I do and the work that nurses that you know, my colleagues and physicians, you know, it's a very um, sort of private 
uh, discussion, especially if there's been infidelity as well that's associated with the low sexual desire. And so people are embarrassed about this. And so hence uh, a HIPAA compliant program is important or pipetta compliant. So for privacy, so that people can trust that their information is not going to be shared online. And, and so you do that through a, a particular type of program. Um, so I've, I've chosen one as well. Also, you've got to consider a person's time. And so typically I will have an hour conversation in my office with patients who present with whatever they are presenting with that's in my wheelhouse, low sexual desire, recurrent urinary tract infections, leakage of urine, overactive bladder, frequency, urgency, nocturia, neurogenic bladder, uh, vaginal pain, vaginal atrophy, genitourinary syndrome, and menopause. These are the things that I deal with very, very frequently and also um, infidelity as well. And so people want that confidence that they actually, um, that it's not going to be shared and that um, they can trust this part as well. But it used to be an hour and and still for couples who are in sexless marriage, that's something else that I deal with very frequently. Um, You'd be surprised about that. But um, you know, it used to be an hour and it still is probably for those patients, but for some of the other patients, it's actually, I, I've, we've, I've developed it in association with care team technologies, um, who is, uh, that's driven or led by the fabulous Dr. Alexandra Greenhill. She's a, a, the digital doctor, let's just say top digital doctor. And, um, and so this allows me to populate and just send the information to the patient so they can actually fill out their background information. So I'm not spending a lot of time on asking them all those questions. That's already been completed. And then we're spending time on the important things that women need to talk to me about. And and then I also can send them because it's standardized, it's evidence-based, the work that I do. And, and so I can send them the information straight from uh, the Get Cleopatra platform in association with Care Team Technologies. And so also it's not just me and the patient that can be on um, as part of the care team. Your physician can be on as part of the care team as well. Your daughter can be part of the care team. Your mother can be part of the care team or your sister. Because oftentimes we need somebody else in our lives, in our healthcare journey uh, that understands it or is there to or can help to make a decision, especially when you're looking at, shall I treat this conservatively or with the information Maureen has given me about or the nurse that has been trained um, to do the work that I do. Uh, you know, to do I want to go with a procedure? Do I want to go with Botox or do I want to go with surgery? Do I want to go with Bulkamid versus, you know, trying this in a very conservative manner Um, and being able to talk to somebody and somebody else can read that information as well. And so it's there. You don't have to go to your doctor or healthcare professional and take notes or try to remember because you are sent all of the information in a HIPAA compliant for privacy manner. And so um, it's, it's really important because these changes in healthcare are long overdue and it's important to deliver the best care, um, more agile type of interprofessional care. Team-based care is important and we need to empower uh, people uh, through technology uh, and, you know, we need to leverage this technology to allow 
everybody to focus on the higher value work, and that is delivering the best health care possible. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. You can subscribe, rate, or review on your favorite podcast app. And if you've got a question about your health, the nurse is always in. So email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com, and I just might answer your question anonymously, of course, on next week's show. For now, have a happy and healthy week. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.